Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Hey, welcome to episode 25. It is the first episode of the fabulous year 2022, and we couldn't be more excited to be with you. In this episode, we will uh, see where we've been, and we'll do a little talk training because apparently that's what we do on Drew and Sam Talk Training. We're going to jump into a book review called Joy, Inc. We will get into what you know by now is my favorite segment, which is Taken. We've got an interview today that we're just over the moon about. We had the opportunity to spend some time with two-time world's fastest pizza maker, Werner Lomker. And uh, one of the things you'll hear in that interview is he thinks he's been with Domino's Pizza percentage-wise more than anybody in the history of the world. And you'll figure out that during the interview. We will get on the road again and uh, tell you where we're heading. And then we will uh, dock this plane or land this boat or do whatever it is the heck Drew is in the mood for, because we know we know that Rules and Drew uh, are much like me and talking. They just sort of happen. So, Drew, how the heck are you here in uh, 2022? I am fantastic, Sam. I'm glad that we're like a minute and a half in and now I get to speak. Thank you so much for that. That was amazing. And yes, I'm totally going to throw that shade if you're going to do the whole uh, rules or like you're talking. That's fine. <laughs> well, how are you doing, Sam? Well, listen, um, uh, point of parliamentary procedure. This is an odd episode, which I'm supposed to do the introduction in. Um, and I don't think we've got any rules that you wouldn't follow anyway about following rules. So me doing most of the talking till now is is on our plan. You breaking rules, mister, is just what you do. It is. That's why that Thomas Edison quote, you know, we're rules, what rules we're trying to accomplish something. That's that's like one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right now, uh, one point to Mr. Helmholtz. That was a excellent way. Uh, to cover up your complete disregard for any rules we have here on Drew and Sam Talk Training. So uh, the current score is one to nothing in favor of Drew. Then let's make it two and go right to Johnny Cash. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Hey, Sam, where have you been? Well, 2022 is off to a great start. Uh, I've been in Cleveland. I spent a little time with uh, Anthony Satterwhite, helping him out in a couple of stores. Had the opportunity to go up and help my friends at uh, Five Star Pizza Company. Did a little bit of leadership development. And then I spent uh, an entire day in a 26-foot U-Haul truck. That wasn't punishment. We were just uh, delivering food. Made my way back out to California, talked to the good folks up in Stockton, Craig Turner's team. And then I went down and uh, saw some more load and go stuff and worked on some leadership development with Shane Casey and his crew at uh, Camp Pendleton and Oceanside. But I would say the highlight so far of this year is I spent a day in Pittsburgh with an old friend, Mark Watkins. We sequestered ourselves in a 
conference room at a hotel and we spent about eight to 10 hours banging out some new curriculum that I'm really, really happy about. And the other thing I'm happy about is to uh, welcome Mark Watkins back to the brand as the time that this podcast drops, he will officially be a honey badger and uh, really excited to have Mark back with Domino's Pizza. How about you, Drew? Where you been? Oh, like there's a shout out in there. There was people movement, content development. You're all over the country. Me? Nope. I'm sitting here doing webinars. (laughs) I had a uh, fabulous culture club webinar with Kevin Shaw and his team. I did the uh, third module accountability for the coach uh, series. Um, If you've missed that, it's restarting. And module one is in February. And and I'll keep going with that. I have two other webinars I'm doing with the uh, Schellenbergers and then with Alan Durham. I'm just all over the place with webinars right now. Uh, More Learning Hub. Rick Clark has signed me up to help his learning club. I believe that gives me a monopoly on every franchisee that calls Roanoke, Virginia home. And then um, lastly, Sam, I've been in Smart Recruiter going through and adjusting the apps in Smart Recruiter to make it easy and obvious for your candidates for where they want to go and what they want to do. I think it's really fantastic. As you mentioned, Rick Clark down in Roanoke, I had the opportunity to go down there a couple of years ago and talk to his guys. It seems like the folks that are seeing the most success are the ones that continue to invest in the development of their teams, either through Better Than Yesterday Consulting or Fowler Consulting or doing whatever they're doing to invest in their teams. And like most teams, I would guess that they are not at 100% at 100% capacity on staffing, yet they still continue to put a priority on development. And, you know, obviously that helps us pay the bills, but I think the thing that it, it really does is it creates that culture inside your store that your team members know that you're investing in them and their development. And I think that's really, really important. Sam, I mean, everybody, everybody sees the pay rates going up and all the pay changes, whether your state's mandating it or just the local competition for that, that person to come and work for you. There's got to be more, right? And you and I've talked about that ad nauseum, right? That it's not just about the pay. It's not, there's got to be something more. And the pay is, is interesting because it might get somebody in the door, but to your point, that development piece keeps them. And at $5,700 to replace a team member that leaves every team member costs the business when they leave $5,700 in lost productivity, advertising to hire the new person, lost productivity for the new person, investing a little bit of that into them saves so much more on the back end. $5,700, Sam. And I have clients that ran 300% turnover last year. Yeah, that's Uh, a lot. They were my clients when they ran 300% turnover. I'm trying to lower that now, but yeah. And it it is a ton. And, you know, I think everybody's facing the same thing. They're looking at their schedules that aren't nearly as robust as they'd like them to be. And they've got supervisors running shifts instead of doing their jobs. And, They're just struggling with how am I going to set aside a day or two days or three days to get my people in a room and and help them develop. 
And uh, I just think it's really, really important to figure out a way to make that happen. If you need some ideas, pick up the phone and give us a call. We'll, we'll tell you what some other folks are doing to make that work. But I think if you want to get out of 2022 better than you got out of 2021, and you want to make sure that your team is getting set up for the growth and expansion that you want, need, and desire, you've got to do something to, to make sure that you're continuing to develop your team. Well, Sam, I think with that, um, we should probably get into our next segment because I think we're going to blend right into that. Yeah, let's do that. How about a little Tom Petty? So today, Drew, on our Let's Talk training segment, I wanted to talk more about a vague idea than a specific skill set or a specific training skill. And it's something that I see, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that you see it a lot as well. We're struggling to have enough general managers and we're struggling to have enough assistant managers. And when I go into stores or when I talk to people, you know, I'll talk to an assistant manager and say, hey, man, do you want to be a general manager? And they'd be like, oh, no, that dude is stressed out all the time. And I don't want that job. You know, I was talking to uh, a good friend of mine up in Lansing, Freddie Cook, and we've been around the brand for about the same amount of time. We were talking yesterday. And I can just remember when I was new to the brand, how the managers used to brag about their job and what a great job it was. And it drove this internal candidate to want to become a manager. If we got back to a place where managers were saying all the great things about their job and saying how great it was, I think we would organically start to see more assistant managers have a want and desire to become a general manager and and want to learn. Now, certainly managers are going through way more today than I ever went. And they're facing struggles that I never faced and probably you never faced, Drew. With that said, you've got to do it. You've got to figure out a way to park your baggage outside the store and come in and talk about the good things. You've got to choose to talk about the good things. Doesn't mean the bad things are going to go away or they're not there or they're not real. They are. You've got to find a different place to download that and not in front of your team. Or I think you're going to have a really hard time developing your team because there's not going to be a team to develop. Sam, back in the day, I don't know if we've talked about this much, but uh, before Minneapolis and St. Paul were part of the Honey Badger Network, I was the last director of corporate operations there. And when I got there, uh, the previous director had been let go of his duties six months before I got there. He'd basically given up on doing said duties about a year before that. So they'd gone 18 months with no expectations, no leadership. Uh, when I got there, my supervisors worked like 9, 30, 10 o'clock to four. Like my first time out in rush with them, I had one of my supervisor's wives texting, why aren't you home yet? Wow. Starting at 515. I, I tell you this as the setup, because when you start to insert expectations into a group that have had no expectations, amazingly, People self-select out. So at the time I had 28 stores. And when I walked in, I probably had 70-ish people in management. And that was February. Um, and by June, I had 31 total people in management for my stores. So what I hear you saying is you I think I only actually fired like two people. And 
I mean, when you're floating like $5,000 inventory, you get fired. All the rest were self-select. They just didn't want to actually do what needed to be done for the job. And I tell you this because it feeds into exactly what you're saying, because all of a sudden I have all these GMs working like 70 hours a week because the group I had wanted to get it done. But drivers, CSRs, even the AMs that kind of stuck around, nobody wanted to step up. And when I'd ask them why, they'd say, oh, my gosh, look at what they're doing. And my answer to every one of them was always, well, of course, because you're still driving or you're still making pizzas. Step up, step up and their life gets easier and your life gets better. And that's been my line now for a decade. Like, yeah, it's stressed out because you haven't stepped up. You step up and everybody's life gets better. You know, Fred and I were talking about the same thing in Lansing. It's, you know, if you've got a store that's got a manager and an assistant manager and they're complaining about the hours and, or if they're just talking about the hours, I mean, complaining is a hard word. If they're working too many hours, they're working too many hours. And, and that's realistic. When a driver says, oh, I don't want to be an assistant manager. Look how many hours this one's working. I think your immediate response has to be, yes, but how many hours would they be working if there were two of you? And imagine if there were three of you. So get the ball rolling and you're not going to work as many hours as that person because now there will be two of you. And if you can do that store by store, by shift, by shift, and you can keep talking about getting people into the fold and getting them into this opportunity that is Domino's Pizza, I think we're going to start to see a turnaround. And I, I truly believe that it's got to start with something, something as simple as talking about the good things about the job. And stop focusing on all the bad things. And again, please let me be crystal clear. I get it. There's bad things. There's stuff that you're dealing with that just plain sucks. I'm not saying that's not there. What I am saying is there's good stuff too. And you should start to choose to talk about the good stuff so that people around you want to join your team and take some of the burden off of you. Many hands make for light work. And the more hands you can get into that work, the more fun the job is going to be. And Drew and I think you and I have both said this in front of groups. I would love to do everything I possibly can as a human being to allow the people that are coming up now to have as much fun at this job that I did. Because I had a lot of fun. I mean, I had had a little bit of fun. No, I'm kidding. I had a ton of fun. So let's let's give them something a little concrete. I've got I've got two selections for you. One, all these books we've read and, and shared with you, mindset keeps popping up. So, so as you walk into your store today or tomorrow, what's your mindset? Are you going in with that positive thinking? Because yes, it might be harder to do that today. But if you go in with the positive thinking, positive things will happen. If you go in with the negative, only negative will happen. That would be part A. Part B, Sam said it, right? Sucks. Totally get it. The only person that should know that outside of your family is up. Go, if you're a GM, go to your soup and say, man, I'm having a hard time. If you're a soup, go to your franchisee or director. I'm having a hard time. Never voice that down because when you voice it down, you instill that negative energy. And as Dave Brandon said, you start to make it the fellowship of the miserable, right? So, so yes, issues happen. Voice those up to your team, 
it's as good as it can get. We're going to control what we can control. And, and we're going to fight through this because we'll be better on the, on the other side of this and have that positive mentality. Let's add to that. If you're an above store leader, or if you're a general manager, or if you're an assistant manager, and one of your direct reports, somebody comes to you and they're griping up, allow it to happen. Give them five minutes, give them 10 minutes to just simply get off their chest, whatever it is that's bothering them. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And then when you feel like they're starting to run out of gas, turn the boat 180 degrees and say, those are all legitimate things. Let's start talking about solutions. If you cut them off before they have the ability to get their gripes out, no matter what you say next, they're still going to be thinking about the things that are weighing them down. You've got to be there to be their sounding board. And you're not going to have solutions for everything. And that's okay. You simply got to listen to them. Sometimes they just need to be listened to. And as they're saying it, they might be working through solutions on their own. They just needed somebody to talk to. So to Drew's point, gripe up. And to my point after that, allow people to gripe up. Be like my man, Mike Harden, and uh, grab him a little Starbucks and let him talk it out. There you go. Sometimes that's all they need. Let's not beat this horse too much today. Let's uh, head to an ad. This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly? That is a great idea. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that. But I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event because we know stuff changes out in the wild and we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022 or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. It's such a great ad, Sam, that virtual training. First one's coming up in March, going over performance coaching and on-the-job training as everybody's hiring tens of employees, hundreds of employees, single employees. On-the-job training might be really useful for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a huge part. And we're going to hit both training events and uh, training moments that happen the on the job piece so i think it's going to be really useful for you if you haven't signed up yet my goodness gracious what are you waiting for what they're waiting for sam they're waiting for us to do a book review what book are we doing this this podcast book discussion book review book discussion i think it's a book discussion book discussion you know as if you've listened to the last three or four episodes you know that i'm just a huge john u bacon fan and on John's podcast, Let Them Lead, he interviewed a guy named Richard Sheridan, who is the CEO and founder of Menlo Industries here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Richard Sheridan wrote a book called Joy Inc., How We Built a Workplace That People Love, published in 2013. 
And that is the book that Drew and I have had our nose in for the last couple of weeks. So, Drew, I'll let you uh, start it off. What would you think about the book? Well, Sam, it's kind of nice because we're, we're dealing with our second local author. And for the Jersey boy in me, Menlo would be Menlo Park, where Thomas Edison made the whole you know, light bulb stuff out of New Jersey. So it's a it's a nice combo of, of stuff. As far as the content goes, this one's really heavy on the office space piece. I mean, there's a lot of programming and collaboration and there's some really good nuggets in it, but it really deals with how to collaborate in the office space because uh, Richard Sheraton's a programmer at heart. And so he talks about getting people away from their individual cube where they're working alone with their headphones on to a place where it's collaborative and there's joy in the room. And that's the part that I took from it, Sam, is that if I walk into a store and he says it in the, in the book at one point that he walks into a, a competitor's programming area and it's a mausoleum. And I've been in stores that are like that, where there's no sound other than the oven or the occasional ding, 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 that the internet makes. Right. Or the Andy Griffith song. That was probably one of my favorites and it starts whistling, but uh, I digress. So there's gotta be some energy from the team. And I mean, Sam, you and I have talked about on the podcast where I was in a store where there probably were 14 people on the clock and no one was talking for 20 minutes. Nothing was said other than one trade out. I, I can't fathom how someone would want to show up into that space and be like, I want to work here. It's tough for me to fathom it as well. You know, Richard talks about going into other workplaces and seeing all the programs with earbuds in and immediately I pictured into my head going into some of the stores that we have the joy of visiting and seeing team members with earbuds in. And for me, from a consumer perspective, I'm going to, I'm going to jump outside my Domino's pizza skin for a second. From a consumer perspective, if I walk up to a counter and a young man or a young woman is taking care of me and they've got earbuds in, that is, that's not good for me. You know, our friend Jeremy said, we've got to humanize the experience. I think the first step to humanizing the experience is actually talking to other human beings instead of listening to whatever it is we need to listen to every single minute of every single day and having an earbud in our ears. I make no, no mistake about it. I love music as much as the next guy. I mean, maybe not as much as Drew Helmholtz on Monday morning when the kids have left and the wife is at work and, and I could actually hear Rush playing from four miles away. You know, Richard talks about this model of pairing. His programmers all work in pairs. And when I say they work in pairs, I don't mean I'm working on my computer and you're working on your computer and we're working on the same thing. There's one computer and two programmers. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I, how can I possibly make a connection to what we're doing? And I'm just thinking, you know, we're hiring all these new team members. They should have a learning buddy. They should have a pairing buddy. And what it's going to do is allow the team member, the new one, to get up to speed quicker. And it's going to allow the experienced one to find the holes in their knowledge and teach them to be better teachers. And I, I think that's really, really important. And I, you know, that was one of the things I took from the book was this whole pairing thing. And I think we can connect that pretty well to what we do. You know, the other one I liked was that there was no, originally they didn't have conference rooms, right? 
that they ended up putting in conference rooms because clients felt uneasy. But the CEO sat in the middle, wherever the desk was put is where he sat because there was nothing that the team couldn't hear. All promotions were done with team input. All firings were done with team input. And, and if you start to think of it that way, I, I joke in class sometimes about, you know, we all, I can, I can describe that person, right? And, and I say that person because we all have that person in, the, in our stores or in our lives, right? When the person walks in the room, the energy level drops, everybody sighs, oh no, Drew's here again, right? Like we all know who that person is. And sometimes as a leader, we're scared to do something about it because Drew is the only person that opens or closes, or he's the only person, he's the fastest pizza maker, whatever that reason is that as a leader, we can, we can justify if we actually brought the team in. Oh my gosh. They would probably be like, oh my gosh, please get rid of them. We'll, we'll pick up the slack. We got this because if they're gone, everything is so much better. And it's amazing that thought process, right? How many times does the leader look at it and, and keep that person where the team is like, why are you keeping them around? If I did this, I would be gone. And, and that, that I liked in this too, that it was all that team component. Yeah. And you know, he talks a lot about communication. In fact, one of the lines in the book was human communication is fraught with the perils of misunderstanding, miscommunication, and unstated assumptions. Now we're talking about a software company, people that code for a living, people that build very high-tech software. And the thing that I loved the most was he talked about their very high-tech communication system inside the, inside the office, which uh, I was just looking for it in the book and I couldn't put my finger on it, but I think it was called fast-paced voice communication high speed voice technology i actually had that highlighted as well yeah 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 and what high speed voice technology is i talk to people with my words with my voice and they hear it and we have a conversation which is another reason why he's so into this pairing thing so you know i think we've got to do a better uh, job with that and the proof for me inside a domino's pizza store I had the opportunity to go to Shane Casey's Oceanside store where they are just knocking load and go out of the park. And they've got a load captain on one side of the oven and they've got a go captain on the other side of the oven. And each one of those two captains has got a headset on. And they are in constant communication. And what I saw that night was exemplary customer experiences because the load captain and the go captain were communicating with one another and making sure that the customer got the very best possible service time they could with the resources they had available. And when I say the very best possible service times, I don't mean they were knocking it out of the park for service times because on that particular night, they were not, but every customer got a hot pizza. They've got that super focus on wait time and they're managing load time based on the number of drivers they have. So, uh, you know, they are using that high speed. Say it for me one more time because I've lost it. High speed voice technology. High speed voice technology really, really well. And it was just, it was just amazing. See, I like, I like that part because he was talking about uh, how much time a business loses on 
email and sending emails back and forth to schedule a meeting and then discussing what the agenda is. And their line there is, hey, Menlo. I mean, he used that as the generic. But in this case, if I need to talk to Sam, I stand up and go, hey, Sam. And Sam stands up and we have a conversation with high-speed voice technology. And then we're done. And it changes. There's no email. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm working or someone's talking to me. The number of supervisors that use text to communicate to their team. And, and I get it, right? With COVID, you can't do an in-person meeting and you're understaffed. So having somebody drive 40 minutes to an office for a two-hour meeting to drive 40, they can't do it. Okay, fine. Everybody has a phone and the phone has a camera on it. Get onto a Zoom call, at least with your team, to have these moments because you're not in one giant open space factory like, like uh, Richard Sheridan is. Fine. There are ways to do this. And texting is quick. And for that supervisor, it's listening. So is giving the team the answer. It's quick. And it's completely ineffective because now they're waiting on the text. They're waiting on your answer and they're not thinking and they're not doing. There's so many better ways to communicate and being in person in front of them is a fabulous way. You know, using that high speed voice technology. And I think, you know, when you said the Hey Menlo and the Hey Sam, yeah, that's exactly what they do. And people have got their ears perked to listen to what comes after Hey. And for me, if we started doing that in our stores, that would be fantastic. Instead of saying, can someone get me a case of cheese? Someone doesn't work at your store, Sam. That's correct. We could say, hey, Bob, can you get me a case of cheese? Or if something is happening that the whole team needs to hear, instead of saying, hey, Menlo, because that's not our team, we'd say, hey, team, or... Hey, Domino's. Hey, Main Street. Yeah, exactly. We could start using this high-speed voice technology and start getting some real answers. I got two more things I want to hit on the book. And then uh, if there's anything else you want to hit on, we'll jump right into our review. He talks about uh, a little deli here in Ann Arbor. And one of the things they do at Menlo is constant systematic quality testing to make sure that the software is going to work step by step by step. I don't think he does an extraordinary job of bringing in other business other businesses other than software. But in this one particular case, I thought he did a great job because he talks about Zingerman's. World famous Zingerman's. World famous Zingerman's. They've got systematic quality testing where each order is read back to the customer every interaction. Oh my goodness, we could do that. We could read back the order to the customer when we're taking the order on the phone, if we were taking it on the phone or when we're taking it at the counter, if we were taking it at the counter. And oh, here's, here's a thought. We could tell them their order as we're handing it to them so they don't find any mistakes when they get home or so that they don't get in their car and say, oh, I ordered a pepperoni. They gave me a sausage. We could make that customer experience, Jeremy, just for you, we could humanize that customer experience just a little bit more by repeating it at every interaction. Imagine the consistency and the accuracy that we would get if we put that simple system in. There was training years ago in something called uh, book one that actually stated to do that. There's training today on Learning Hub and two coaching guides that state to do that. And we choose not to because of competing priorities, right? 
I have to move faster. I have this thing I have to do over here. So I have to get this done as fast as possible. And we, we lose where the priority is, right? The customer that we're dealing with right now, that's interface that we can use high-speed voice technology with is the, not the highest priority. So we don't do these things. And yeah, repeating an order back is simple, takes 10 seconds and can fix so much downstream. Huge fan. I think the other challenge we have with that is that we haven't set clear expectations. You know, I, I was going through a McDonald's drive through yesterday. And Congratulations. Well, I thank you very much. But I've had some pretty good experiences at McDonald's of late, uh, especially our local McDonald's here on Baker Road. I think they've got a new management team there and the, the experience has been a lot better in the last six months. At this particular McDonald's, though, I went through and the person that took my order was amazing. Hi, my name is so-and-so. What are you doing today? I was using the app. She walked me through it. And then I got to where my food was and the window opened and an arm popped out. And there was a bag and I grabbed it and there was no high-speed voice technology whatsoever. We've got to set an expectation with our teams that we want them to be using the high-speed voice technology and that we want them to be humanizing the experience. And if we don't reward that behavior when it happens, Drew, I know you're a, a big fan of rewarding positive behavior will make it more likely to happen again, then we've got to do that. Otherwise, we're going to have bad experiences at the counter, at the door. And sooner or later, gang, I know a lot of you have not been around long enough to understand what I'm about to say. But sooner or later, you're going to have to start scratching and clawing for every sale because things are going to change. And we're going to have to get back into being relentless marketers and figuring out ways to increase our sales. Those days are coming. And the first thing we've got to do is deliver quality product with great service, which includes a smile and maybe just maybe reading back that order to the customer when they get it. Great ad, Sam. I like that a lot. You said you had two parts of the book you had. What was the second one? I do. Last thing. He's got a whole chapter on uh, get results by giving your team a chance to get things done. And I think what we've done a great job, at least I've done a great job of when I get the opportunity to talk to leaders and we're developing, we talk about lists. You should have a prep list. You should have a closing list. You should have an opening list. And we do a great job of talking about how that will set a clear expectation. And I think after reading this passage in the book, I've come to the realization that I'm missing the boat on what the bigger opportunity of having these lists are. And that is, if I've got a list it gives my team member the opportunity to complete something. How many times have you been in a store at opening and one of the drivers comes up to you and says, hey, man, I've only got one more thing on the prep list and then I'm done. And when they get to that point, that's giving them a sense of accomplishment, a sense of meaning, and dare I say it, a sense of joy in their job because they got something done that their leader wanted them to get done. So when you're talking about doing these lists and you say, listen, I don't do an opening list because I know how to open the store. Think about your opening list and getting your entire team involved and the sense of satisfaction, the sense of meaning, the sense of accomplishment. And again, dare I say it, the sense of joy that they will get when that list is done and they know the store is set up and ready to rock and roll. I think. 
that that is a huge missing point that we have just completely not thought about or never gave any mention to when we talk about the importance of lists. It's that giving your team members the opportunity to have a sense of accomplishment. Completely agree. And it's why a general, an admiral wrote a book called Make Your Bed. Yeah, I can't think of the, right? his name, but, but the whole premise was if every day you make your bed, then when you get home that night, your bed is made. And no matter how bad your day was, you've accomplished something. And, yeah. and there's all of this psychological piece to that, that you're, you're doing something important, even though it doesn't seem it. Now, Sam, to your point, I, I am a huge fan of opening lists or closing lists or prep lists. And oh my gosh, do we put so much on it? I know at one point in Team USA, the opening list was like four pages long. And there's no joy in doing a four-page list, right? So, so do the list, but let's, let's be smart. I was with a client maybe a year ago and they were describing the previous franchise's opening list and it literally was everything. Remove key from pocket, put key in front door, turn counterclockwise, unlock door. So it was like 12 steps just to get in the store. But to use the list, I've already done all of that. So like, don't, don't be that list. Be the list that makes sense, right? Be the list that, that, hey, trash needs to get taken out. Hey, the open sign needs to get turned on. Be the list of stuff you know that needs to get done. Huge fan, Sam. Yeah, and I think you can have, you know, that nasty list that you talked about when you're training somebody. Because I think we both agree that anytime you leave gaps for the learner, they have to fill in the gaps. So I'm, I'm, I'm really big into very structured, detailed things when you're training somebody. Correct. But when we're talking about opening the store and theoretically the person that is holding the keys has been trained and they simply need to stay on track, let's make that more of a roadmap and not a, oh gosh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not a, a shop manual of how to disassemble the engine. It's, it's, you need to take the engine apart. And if you don't know how to do that, then there's a shop manual to take it apart. But for goodness sake, let's not, Let's not overburden our openers, our team members with these lists that are so long that nobody's going to want to use them. It should simply be prep eight bottles of garlic oil, not go to the sink, grab eight bottles, get eight bottle liners, go get the garlic oil. You know, uh, yeah, I'm, that's, that's a great ad, Drew. That's, that's beautiful. I think a roadmap is what we're looking for, not a detailed user's manual or shop. That's awesome. So, hey, Sam, where are you putting this book? On the prize table, on the desk, on the shelf, or in the donation bin? Well, I think we're probably uh, not going to land in the same place in this book. And that's okay, because uh, if we did land in the same place on everything, then there probably wouldn't be a need for both of us. Uh, So for me, this one is going to be on the shelf. I thoroughly enjoyed this book from cover to cover and everything that was on all of the pages. uh, I, I found it pretty easy to read. And I found myself at times wanting to figure out how to code so I could go work for this cat. But the reason it's on the shelf and not on the desk or not on the prize table is because I think there are just much better books for our listeners to read to get something that's going to easily 
parallel what they're doing in their in their jobs. If you've got some extra time and you want to read a good book, this is a good one. So for me, Drew, it's on the shelf. How about you? So Sam, for me, this one's going in the donation bin. I didn't, I feel the same way about the book that you do. I, I enjoyed reading it. There was a time in my life where I did a little programming back uh, like 30 years ago now. So I'm like, okay, I get where he's going, but I, there's so little to take from this for what we do. That's not already in other books that does it in a, in a way that's more applicable to what we do. So yeah, this one's going in, in the donation bin for me. Yeah, I think that's really well said, Drew. The things that are in this book are kind of hidden gems and you've got to yep. be really looking for them to get them. And now for Sam's favorite segment, uh, let's hear from Liam. I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Sam, what have you taken from the stores? Well, for me, Drew, this week, my take-in is actually a shout-out to our supply chain drivers. Uh, you know, I told you when we were where you've been, I spent a day delivering food for Eric Ernston's five-star pizza company. And I'll tell you, that is physically demanding work. And I've always had very high regard for our supply chain drivers. I think for the most part, they do a fantastic job. Certainly, they've had challenges throughout the years and things don't always go well. But my experience through my four decades is the supply chain has always been pretty terrific. And I know right now that's, that's a hard thing to say with all the challenges that they're having. But I would say that if you're listening to this podcast, which of course you are, or you wouldn't hear me. But the next time you come in contact with a supply chain driver, I would thank them for what they do. Because if you're not in the truck driving industry, or you don't know anything at all about it, our supply chain drivers have probably the most challenging job when it comes to truck driving. Because most truck drivers are what is called no-touch freight drivers. And that means they back their rig up to the trailer, they hook it up, they drive it to the destination, they unhook the trailer, and they leave. Our supply chain drivers are unloading thousands of pounds of food so that our stores can operate along with handling a 45-foot or a 53-foot trailer and heading down the road with, oh my gosh, just some of the worst drivers in the history of the world. So, you know, give them a shout out and on the off chance that they make a mistake or there's an opportunity for improvement, treat them the way you'd like to be treated and be nice to them. They're human beings and, and they deserve our respect. And I think it would be wonderful if everybody got to spend a day in the life of a supply chain driver, because uh, I'm moving a little slower today than I was yesterday. and I'm. We didn't even deliver dough, sauce, and cheese yesterday. We were doing just ancillary items, and it uh, it kicked my tail. So, supply chain drivers, huge shout out to you and the and the work you do to help keep the stores open. And I'd make a huge suggestion to anybody listening when you run into a supply chain driver, thank them for what they do. And what you're telling me is, well, today it sounds like you are not better than yesterday. You're WTY worse than yesterday. I would say that. Physically, yes, I'm a little worse than I was yesterday, uh, but mentally, I'm definitely better than yesterday because I had the opportunity to help the stores out and I had the opportunity to grow some appreciation for for our supply chain drivers and, and the hard work that they do. Thanks. 
What about you, Drew? What have you taken? You know, mine's a little different, Sam. Mine, mine. I'm going to go with. Um, I'm going to go with math. Math is hard. Math? Yep, math is hard. Math. math. I'm going to go with math, Sam, because costs are going up. I don't know if you've noticed. Food costs more. Labor costs more. Uh, we have this fabulous thing called a contribution margin. So if you have eighty percent fixed or variable costs, you got twenty percent less left to pay for your fixed costs. Which also means that one out of every five dollars is going to, to the bottom line to pay for your fixed costs. So when costs go up, like food and labor, that eighty percent goes bigger. And for those of you that need that math run, here you go. If your food went up one percent, you need five percent with a twenty percent contribution margin of sales increase to have the same actual total bottom line. So when your food goes up three and your labor goes up three, that's six percent. Sam, real quick, six times five is what? That would be thirty. When I went to school, you would need a thirty percent sales increase to cover the costs. Sam mentioned just a few minutes ago on the podcast that we're going to come across a time where you need to be a massive marketer. That time is quickly approaching. So if you're not sure about the math I just did, ask your supervisor. If you're a supervisor, ask your franchisee. If you're a franchisee, ask your accountant. These cost increases mean we need a massive sales increase to cover for them, or you need to control your costs. And where we've never really been good at that. If we were, we'd have scales in use 100% and wouldn't still be talking about using scales 15 years later. So massive sales increase. That's my take on Sam. Yeah, I love that take in. And it leads me to a thought, which happens often on Drew and Sam talk training for both of us. Ooh, a random thought? Maybe for virtual training event number two, we should do some uh, profitability training like we used to do back in the day. And we could help folks out with contribution margin and help folks out understanding how to read a P&L and help folks to understand that when franchisee sells a pizza for $5.99, $5 does not go into the bank as profit. Or does 99 go into the bank as profit? So, um, hey, if you're listening and you would like to hear more about reading a P&L or understanding contribution margin or understanding just simply how to make money with inside your four walls, shoot us a note. And if we get enough interest in that, then possibly we'll hit that on virtual training event number two. Finance. Finance. Such a fabulous way to run most of our fans and clients off, Sam. Let's talk finance and math. Okay, if you're running away from the podcast, forget what I just said. If you love what I just said, then help me tell Drew, I told you so. Help me help you. Yeah, and we'll go from there. Hey, with that, let's uh, jump, jump into an ad, shall we? This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly? That is a great idea. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that. But I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event. Because we know stuff changes out in the wild. And we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, 
go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022 or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. This week, we have the fabulous pleasure of talking with two-time fastest pizza maker, world's fastest pizza maker, Werner Lompker. And yes, as Sam said, he believes that the largest percentage of his life has been with Domino's, and he'll explain it right now. All right, listeners, our fabulous guest today is world fastest pizza maker, Werner Lomker. Werner, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Drew. Thanks for asking. Fantastic. Now, Werner, I don't know how much of our podcast you listen to, but I am given the privilege every guest to ask the first question. And the first question usually goes something like this. Tell our listeners how you got here. What's your story? Okay, I don't know how much time you have. Um, I probably could. Uh, take the record for being introduced to Domino's earlier than anybody else in history. Um, I'm fairly confident that I was conceived on top of a pizza store. So that's the very beginning of it all. Um, My dad was a manager in Rochester, New York, and it was an apartment above the pizza store, not on the roof. And my dad was a manager and, you know, kind of came to Canada in the early painful 80s to franchise. He's one of the first franchisees. And that was the beginning of the journey. He started in Montreal and then moved to Mississauga, where I really got my start. Um, as a family business, I was delivering, I was almost said delivering pizzas, but delivering flyers at, uh, you know, an age of single digits for sure. And just learning about the business um, through riding around, picking up supplies and um, getting to know what was going on through my dad and just those, those conversations. So uh, in 96, that was my first paycheck. I believe I was about 13 and got working in the stores Friday nights, uh, learned to love the rush, uh, worked almost every Friday and Saturday night, keeping myself out of trouble as I was growing up through school. And there I was. Um, now I'm in college, going to school. My dad, um, throughout those years, Domino's was not as easy as it maybe is today. And I know it's not easy today, but it's a different challenge for sure um, from everything I could see. And he'd always say to me, Werner, uh, you're, you're not going to be in the pizza business. And I remember even once he tried to push me out and get me a job doing landscaping or something. Um, and he had, you know, he had grown to four stores and just was burning the candle at both ends. Um, he, you know, even got down, he was, he sold off the first three stores. And as I'm in college, going to do accounting type work, um, still running a store. Uh, my dad was about to sell out the last store that he had. And the night before, he actually gave myself and another gentleman, Shane, the opportunity to uh, buy half of the store instead of, um, instead of selling out completely. So that's kind of how I entered fran- franchising, um, just point of opportunity and being too busy to spend the money that I had saved on bonuses uh, allowed me to buy in. And then out of school, uh, had some offers 
do some accounting, some office type jobs. I actually ended up being a financial planner for a couple of years while also working um, in the pizza store. Uh, you know, I'd have a phone that would ring, of course. And when it was a financial planning phone call, I would like sink into my seat and lose all energy and hated that job. Um, but then when I had the opportunity to take off the suit and tie and put on the, the khakis and the, the sweaty shirt and then go work with the team, I really enjoyed it. So uh, at, after two years of financial planning and trying to manage both and kind of doing okay at both, you know, I looked at my wife at the time and, you know, we had a mortgage and, you know, all the responsibilities. And I said, it doesn't matter how little money I make, you know, this is, this is where I love to be. And so we quit financial planning and kind of dove back in to Domino's headlong. Um, and from there, we've kind of had six stores as a group. And then we shaved off some partnerships back down to a couple. And um, just last year, we purchased a few more to get, a, get ourselves up to 15. And now we have a great team. And here I am. That's not my not my fastest pizza making journey, but um, kind of goes alongside of that as well. And here we are today. So uh, in that story, what I heard is currently you're at 15 stores. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Awesome. I bet that keeps you busy. It does. Yeah. In different ways, for sure. I'm busier now than than it was. I remember um, I am a fan of the podcast and. Uh, I think the, the last podcast I listened to was another Patrick Lanchoni one about team member engagement. And I was like, you know, there was a time a couple of years ago before COVID where we're like, how do, what do we do now? Cause we had pretty good systems in place and the team was full. And you know, I was like, I hadn't made, really made a pizza in a while. And I'm like, you know, let's, let's talk about like job luck. How do we like take this to the next level? And, you know, we actually sent out surveys from that book to the team, uh, obviously not directly, but try to find out, you know, what level of anonymity, anonymity. Yeah, I can't say that one either. <laughs> I'm not know. even going to try. I have a history of not being able to say words, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. But it, it used to be not so busy, and now it's it's got crazy again. But so, yeah, it's busy, but we're working at it. So Warner, you'd mentioned that that was your journey to where you're at, but not the fastest pizza maker journey. Could you, could you tell our listeners how you got there? Okay. Well, I guess my first fastest pizza making competition, I believe I was 16 and this was still the two trays. Um, and of course, you know, young 16 year old fast on Friday nights, you know, you're like, well, I'm going to compete. And I was, you know, arrogant and cocky little kid and went into a regional competition and got absolutely demolished. Um, it was ugly. There was, you know, I was throwing saucy pizzas at judges. It was, it was a mess. Um, so that's the beginning. So let me jump in there for just a second, Werner. For our, for our folks that are newer to the brand, unlike the three of us, uh, tell them what a two tray was, because I think it's been, gosh, Drew, what is it, 15 or more years since we've done a two tray? Oh, I mean, I joined corporate almost 15, so it's got to be pushing 20. Wow. Yeah. So Werner, um, yeah. tell our listeners what a two tray competition was for those folks that are nearly as long as in the tooth as you and I. Okay. Two tray competition. Uh, every contestant started with a tray of medium and a tray of large dough. Uh, and the competition was simply stretch out those dough balls and sauce them to spec 
as quickly as possible. There was no cheese or toppings. Nice. So uh, if I remember correctly, it was eight mediums and six larges. So you had to make 14 pizzas as fast as you can. And like you said, to spec, which was um, sometimes uh, there was a little latitude there, shall we say? Well, I'm sure. I, I did some research on this. I was so curious. And I think the world record, if anybody's wondering, is about 234 for those pizzas. And that might have been Mustafa. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and he was smooth, man. I mean, his pizzas were to spec. I think, I think what we'll get into later on in the conversation, but to me, the key to speed has always been a lack of mistakes and being smooth as silk, not necessarily being fast, uh, but being super accurate. You got it. So that's the very beginning of my journey. And uh, I took every chance I could from there to try and compete. Uh, my first time in Vegas was 2006. Uh, I remember that uh, very pretty clearly. Um, that was, I'll just say, first of all, like every time you go and lose, you learn something. And here's what I learned this time. This was 2006 and qualifying was the first day. And then the finals was the second day. Um, big event. And I had the fastest qualifying time on day one. I got myself on the front of Pepperoni Press. You know, and I was all pumped up and I remember even Robert Dunner coming up to me and being like, hey, man, you're fast. I got to watch out for you playing some, maybe some head games or maybe just being a nice guy. And wait a second. Someone from Team Washington playing head games? I don't believe it. I didn't learn that lesson early enough. Um, (laughs) So uh, as we were saying, um, but that was the year that uh, Dennis Tran, I think that might have been his first victory his first year and uh so you know that was i thought i had a chance there for sure um and then every year from from that i've been to vegas seven times now i believe or competing in the world whether it's order up or uh the the, just the the drag race style three pizzas or the last couple of years have been the um the one that you know ties quality in a little more i'm not sure what we're calling that um and I guess just every year you really learn something from the competition. Uh, and whoa, where do I even, I've learned so many lessons and met so many fantastic people that I could just give you, you know, what did Pally teach me? What did Dennis teach me? Uh, Renee, you know, those, those moments you got to work side by side with these guys and just soak in all of that, that experience of wisdom that's really my journey. The journey from not having a coach to thinking I was just this snotty fast kid to taking it seriously. And, you know, Pally saying, listen, I come in and I'm, I'm making pizzas the week before and just going until I feel smooth about it. So every chance I had, I competed. Um, I think I've been doing this for some 18 years or 20, it was 18 years. So I won now it's 20 years. So it takes some time. So if I was a a first time competitor this year and I've seen all the videos on YouTube and I'm in my store on Friday nights, cranking out pizzas and nobody can keep up with me. What would be the one piece of advice you would give to somebody that has aspirations of being on the big stage in Las Vegas in front of 9,000 cheering folks and going to their first world's fastest pizza maker finals competition? What would be the one thing you would tell them? If that's your aspiration, you need to take it seriously. 
I think you have to step outside. You can't just be the fastest pizza maker on Friday nights. You've got to set set time aside, set your store up, set your team up, and you need to get the stopwatch out. And you need to try and make nice pizzas, get a baseline, and try and make pizzas in the competition format, not just the Friday night format. I am not the fastest pizza maker side by side on a Friday night. I get my my butt is you know, kick. I'm out of place on the make line now. There's faster people on dough, but it's about preparing yourself for the competition as it is and training your mind and getting yourself in the right headspace before you enter or walk up onto stage. I, I think it's, it's probably even one or lost before you get on that stage. Set your ego aside and train, train, train. Oh. Warner, um, I assume you know that Sam and I are in Michigan and there's a whole thing around Michigan football about the team, the team, the team. So train, train, train probably resonates really well with Mr. Fowser at this moment. He's probably nodding his head internally going, oh, I'm stealing that. We're totally going to do something around train, train, train. <laughs> there's a chance you're correct. <laughs> You'd mentioned, you'd mentioned mindset and getting yourself in the right headspace. Does any of that, that thinking about what you need for the competition apply when you're in the store as well, even if you're not training at that moment? Well, absolutely. First of all, like, I don't, I think it's the type of personality and it, it takes a certain like heart and attention to detail. And it's a common, it's a common person, a common characteristic that would help you be successful in the fastest seats maker competition or um, handling a store. If you're going to handle a store, you know, you can't just prepare for everything to be going normal and okay. I think, and just like a fastest pizza maker, you know, even though it's a split second, you might make a mistake or, or have a little setback. You have to have the, the wherewithal and the confidence in your abilities to pick up a situation and keep going and, and address it and make, and get through the next, the next step. So, and you, and you don't get to that point unless you, have some confidence in what you're doing and you don't get to that point unless you put the work in ahead of time and you and you actually do training you do have the experiences um, and you do have the failures and reflect on them so when you're training for world's fastest pizza maker warner like how much time outside of the store <clears throat> and when i say outside of the store i mean outside of business hours or outside of actually during the rush so probably actually inside the store because that's where you make pizzas but how much time are you dedicating to to practicing the show, as it were, the under competition guidelines? How much time do you put in to get ready for the event in Las Vegas? So, as you know, there's multiple levels to qualify, um, at least a regional and for me, it's international. And then it's the world's. And each one, I would say I use a different amount of time. Because I kind of know what I need to accomplish in order to um, qualify for the next round, and that's where that starts. But let's say we're ready, getting ready to go to the world. Um, the last couple times, what I've done is I've gone down to Michigan and Detroit, uh, and seen a very nice friend and welcome there to get accustomed to the U.S. product because, of course, we use different products in Canada. And so that's a day, and you know, I don't make a few hundred pizzas at least just to calibrate myself with the dough and the sauce weights for sure. And 
um, get get a feel for the cheese. And then with for the Vegas competitions, it's about a week before. And then when I finally did win, I know that that year I think I spent five to seven extra days before the competition practicing in store. Um, you know, whether it's ten to twenty trays, trying to keep you know not exhaust myself and like make my my muscles and my mind mentally tired, but you know, try and get to the place where where I knew that I didn't have to like put on my best or like break my personal record when I stepped on the stage. Um, for example, when I won the first time and I did in 57 seconds, um, I was able to get on the stage and know I just had to do, just do what you do. And that took the complete pressure off. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've, Dennis Tran or probably like chomping at my ankles in that situation. And you have to put on, you have to go and try and break your, break your best record. This better be your best time ever. Cause that, that amount of pressure for me at least was crushing. Um, so you really just need to be prepared and step up and say, I do this every time. And it's won or lost before the judge even says, ready, set, begin in your mind. So when you're practicing, <clears throat> let's say, you know, it's a, it's a week out. Are your practice sessions always I'm making one large pepperoni, one large mushroom, one large cheese, or are you breaking the process down into smaller processes? And maybe today I'm just practicing sauce, or maybe today I'm calibrating my hands to grab the right amount of mushrooms. Um, do you break it down or do you just go for it all at once all the time? Uh, it's broken down uh, in many different ways, depending on what the situation calls for. Um, I tell, you know, the new competition, a lot of just dough and sauce, dough sauce scale and check to see if you're getting those first two things right. And there's a lot of recording of yourself. There's a lot of, you know, you're watching a video, breaking down every little step, you know, what's your pull, what's your first stretch, what's your first thought and, you know, charts of that and trying to find out, you know, okay, well, this one was, you know, a six second stretch versus a seven second stretch. Well, what did I do different? How can I, keep that cleaner. Oh, that lay when you put the pizza on the screen, you know, how come I had to keep fussing with that dough because it wasn't right? What did I do to get my hands and the dough ball in the right position before even putting it on the screen so that I don't have to fuss with it when I go to set it down? And so watch a lot of videos of myself and of others trying to find out what the kind of like, where can you find the seconds and where are you, where are you not? And you know, when I was struggling with pepperoni a lot, you know, I would just pull out a screen and just work on the grab, work on laying the pepperoni down on the screen, spreading it out, get the timer, get somebody else on you and do it, assess it, dump them somewhere else, grab some fresh pep and do it again, um, over and over again until, until it's been refined to a point where you have a better strategy or style or you feel comfortable, um, ready to go so that when the clock, when the timers, the judge says go, excuse me, and the, the pressure is on, you don't need your brain to be thinking about it. You're not thinking about how you're going to do it anymore. You're just thinking about keeping the pace and keeping the, keeping the air in your lungs and, in your, and the oxygen in your brain. Uh, and then you just go from there. So absolutely broken down in chunks. I was going to say, when you're on the stage in front of five or 6,000 of your closest Domino's friends, passing out is probably a bad plan to win. Yeah, breathing is probably super useful. It took me a long time to realize that. Shout out to Pally for um, saying,
saying you can't hold your breath for a minute and do a good job. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate so that. You've mentioned a couple of the other competitors, Dennis Tran and, and, and Pally and um, Rene DeGia. As Domino's Pizza goes, I would say that the world's fastest pizza makers are our elite athletes. Do you find that your fellow competitors um, have huge egos and are not willing to share any of the things they've learned with you? Or is it more of a, a group that's got a real good camaraderie? It's a group that's got a real good camaraderie. I mean, we are competitive and there is, you know, we all want to win for sure, but we welcome with open arms anybody else who wants to enter. Uh, I think we all have a few things that maybe we hold back just a little bit in terms of like, how to get it done. And, and we don't necessarily share every last detail. I, I'm not going to hand out my notes that I have um, that I read before I'm prepared for competitions. And, you know, they remind me what went well and what didn't go well so I can get ready to go. But I have learned so much from uh, the other competitors and they are extremely generous. I mean, when I finally won and I was a little shocked, you're like, what are you going to do with this now is the question, you know, are what kind of, champion do you want to be and i just looked at some of the past champions and their, their generosity with others their the way they open their arms the way they even say come practice with me or they come over and say you're just taking too much time on this not in a way that anything to gain from it whatsoever it's just from hey we're here to put on a show we're here to we're here to compete and let's let's do this let's let's have that in and may the best boy or girl win I think Drew and I have both had the opportunity of being involved in world's fastest pizza maker, not as pizza makers, thankfully, because for me, that would end very poorly. <clears throat> but I think what I was most surprised about my first time in Vegas was, you know, it's like, hey, we're all going to this store to practice. And I thought to myself, what do you mean we're all going? And when I got there, it was like everybody was there and they were timing each other and coaching each other. And I think the world's fastest pizza competitors are very similar to franchisees. And that is, I'll show you anything I've got. I still want to beat you, but I want to beat you because I'm the best of the best, not because I held something back or I know a trick that you don't know. It seems to be a very giving community. And the other thing you mentioned early on is you've got to set your ego aside. One of the most surprising things to me was how down to earth each and every one of the competitors was because some of them don't have that persona on stage. Some of them come off as arrogant and look at me and, and then you meet them in person. And it's like, I don't know who you are because you couldn't be any nicer. And I, I've always found that to be true. I mean, I, I don't think your stage persona is a lot different than than your true personality. I always found you to be very soft-spoken and humble and nice to meet you. Um, but there are some guys out there that get on stage and put on a show uh, without mentioning any names, Dennis Tramp. You didn't, I was going to. <laughs> yeah, the camaraderie is just, just amazing. What would you say is, other than fast pizza making, is the best thing you've gotten from your experience with those just men and women that have been competitors over the... 16 or plus years that you've been doing it the opportunity to network and meet with the other competitors and get to know people through this i mean if i wasn't a fastest speech maker i wouldn't be having the chance to speak with you guys uh, if i would 
you know, didn't volunteer my time to be on committees and do certain things. There's a bunch of people and that I wouldn't meet because I, you said I'm soft-spoken. Um, I feel like I have, I could have some personality and I'm, I'm not totally shy, but I'm also not the guy that's going to run out there and, and go try and steal the spotlight or go try and um, just, you know, make a show out of something. So when there's the opportunity to, to have, to meet these people and network and have some, some commonality among such a great group of people, including these fast speech makers and, um, and then you get to know them and you get to learn about their lives and you get to really, you know, you, you do meet the dentist train that's, you know, not the showman and, um, and you find out, yeah, salt of the earth. and like just the, the nicest, most generous person maybe you'll ever meet. Where would I be without it? I'd be sitting in the stands like I did a couple of years. I didn't make it wishing I was up there and just regretting not putting the effort in. So, and it's a lot of the time you're, it's a minute or a minute and a half of the competition, but you get to spend two, three days and you make friends for life. Um, you know, Jimmy Rudlinger and, and I, like we've been, we're similar ages and, you know, that guy's a pizza slinger and, you know, we've, we've made friends over fastest pizza maker. And if I hadn't been in it, I, I wouldn't have that good friend. And I wouldn't know the people I know. I just, you know, I'd be another Domino's guy. So, and I, I mean, how do you even put a, put a price tag or anything on the cost of the value of friendship in general and, and camaraderie and teamwork? Oh, I think Jimmy had put a price on it for you. I mean, have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. him on yeah. Facebook? Oh, yeah. He was going to charge Satterwhite 25 bucks just to ride around with him. So I don't think Jimmy would have a problem putting a price <laughs> on your friendship, Warner. Don't, uh, don't sell Jimmy short on that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and and congrats that's now the ad for this podcast so there there you go that's what's gonna go out that little video snippet right there that's the world's fastest pizza maker and the cost of friendship <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh oh god hey warner let's let's bring it back into the store for a minute is there anything that you've done with fastest pizza maker or learned from from that group that you've taken back into your stores Oh, wow. I actually think the biggest thing that we've brought back into the stores from the group or from the competition is just the competitive nature of the competition itself. Um, and using that type of sharing of information and internal competition to make each other better. And this goes beyond making pizzas, but, and, you know, whether it's hitting numbers, but I think it's the it's the spirit of the competition that does help us surround ourselves in the store with other people who are competitive in the in that way and want to be the best that they can be and want to hit goals and want to stand out and want to earn accolades for whatever purpose. But even just to say, hey, this is my this is my shot. I have one life to live. You know, let's make the most of it. And bringing that type of attitude into the stores to keep the energy up. I mean, they're long shifts. We all know that. Um, and if you're just, if you're just there to watch the clock turn around and pick away, it's a, it's a terrible business, honestly, a terrible job. But if you bring in that competitive nature and you're surrounded with people who are purpose driven, that's what's come back into the stores. I think the most, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, people, a lot of people messaging me on Facebook and, you know, some even interested in coming to work for us or, or join our team through this. And because that's, it's a culture that is it's valuable and um, it makes it fun, not easy, but fun. 
So when you talk about the competitiveness in the store, I've got to wonder how many times do you walk into one of your 15 stores and some young kid that's been there for three months, four months, five months, and thinks he's the new gunslinger in town challenges you to a large pepperoni. And I I can tell from the look on your face, it's happened once or twice. Oh man. You know, that saying if I had a nickel or whatever, uh, I love that question. I, I love when the young, the young buck or the, you know, you're at a rally and somebody's like, I'm coming to get you. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I love it. Please do. Please come beat me. I would, you know, I, I'd be so happy, especially in Canada. Like for me, you know, I'll probably keep going until somebody in Canada beats me. Uh, and I just like, man, can somebody do it? And, you know, I've had, I don't know, dozens of people, I'm sure at least, um, say they're going to do it. And I just like, how can I help you? What can I give to you? Send me your video. Let, let me critique you. Let me give you a hand because that would be great. I'm starting to creak a little bit here in the joints. So can you please do it? But it's the, it's not the fastest person on the rush to win this. It's a, it's a different ball game. And so you just got to put the work in, got to study yourself, prepare for the competition that you're competing in. So in your side, your stores, when one of your teammates challenges you, do you ever let them win? It's never happened. I've never let anybody win. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I love it. I was walking around with the hundred dollar bill in his back pocket. Come on. Take it. Take it. It's fine. (laughs) I get more nervous though, probably when I get challenged in my store and then I do probably in like a competition at this point. And it's wow. And I'm not even sure why that is, but maybe because they catch me out of my head game or out of the space. But you know, it was just last week we had a, somebody thought they were, I was putting too much cheese on a pizza and I'm like, I'm not putting too much cheese on the pizza. Do you know who you're talking to? And very sarcastically. Right. (laughs) And like, no, I think you are get the scale out. Let's do this right now. And of course that was perfect. And they were off by almost an ounce on theirs, but that type of, that little type of fire and competition is what's, what's quite fun. Um, but I was nervous. You know, I thought more about that, that cheese on that pizza than I normally would otherwise. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your, uh, what's your current large pep time Werner? Oh, I don't know. Probably. I just had to use a submission for Canada's fast pizza maker minus the stretch. I think it was about 19 or 20, something like that. Nice. Yeah, it's not, it's probably not the fastest. So a little faster than Sam, <laughs> but slightly slower than me. I'm totally kidding. That, that was just. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And what he means by kidding is it's a lot faster than <laughs> a Sam. A lot faster than me. <laughs> I think the fastest I've ever done in almost 40 years of this is uh, 30 maybe but it was perfect i don't i'm not i'm not into that pile of toppings or you know just a, a pile of ingredients and call it good thing when anybody ever tells me they're they're sub 20 i need to see it before thank i believe you. it well except yours i believe yours <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> mostly because i have seen it at least sam i'm in the same boat when i time folks and they're like i'm a 19 second pep i'm like all right here's the stopwatch let's go because I've, I've judged these and I'm no. Yeah. Yeah. On the outside, big smile. Oh man, that's amazing. Let's go ahead and time it just for kids. Yeah, exactly. I want to see that. Can we record it too? Yeah. Oh, 31. Yeah. Okay. Rarely is it, rarely is it under 25 and uh, meets rim size portion placement bake. That's for sure. If, if you let me jump in here, I think just as we talk about large pep times and timing, 
if you just catch me cold and you catch me not in fastest pizza making season, it's closer to 26, 27, I'm sure. And, and every year, this doesn't matter. It's not like you don't get there and stay there. Um, my first, if I'm going to go do three large pieces of new competition now, I'm north, north of a minute, maybe minute 10. Like you, I have to work it down all the time. So when I see 1920, if you catch me in six months, it's going to be a 26 second large pepperoni. Which is no slouch, by the way. Right. Yes. I, I mean, uh, like 30% worse. <laughs> I've always said that if every single pizza maker we had could make a perfect pepperoni pizza in a minute or less, we'd be in a much better place than we're at now. Absolutely. I mean, I absolutely I re- and you- remember being an evaluator and we would time pizzas and I'd see two minutes, three minutes. And I'm just thinking to myself, my goodness gracious, are you mixing the dough and <laughs> slicing the pepperoni? What in the world? They decided, you know, uh, it's just you're timing me. I'm going to start going to walk away. I'll come back. I need to get that Slurpee. It's fine. So then Werner, what's your plans this year? You said you've got the international coming up. I assume you've gotten out of Canada then. I, I'm quite confident I'm out of Canada at this point. I think that email just came uh, last week. Um, although every year you have to requalify. And I believe there's like my region is the Americas, which is North and South America, less the USA. And I have to come, I believe, top two out of all those competitors. So I think that's next. I don't know what that looks like with uh, everything the world's going through. It might be virtual. Um, not too sure. You never really get much, get much notice, too. I, maybe this is just Canada or maybe this is general. But uh, lots of times you kind of get a call a week or two before and you're like, this is your competition and you are, here's your deadline. So that could happen. Not too sure, but I'm used to it now. A lot of, a lot of planning coming out of the copper roof is what I hear you saying. Oh yeah. So it's interesting. So, I mean, a lot of our listeners are in the U S we, we do have fabulous listeners in Belgium. Shout out to, to Belgium. I'm not sure why we're always ranking there, but shout out to Belgium. Can you real quick explain what it looks like for you? You started to get into that, right? That you've got to get out of, Canada and then international. Can you just explain what it looks like for our listeners for, for, for you coming from international to get to Vegas? Sure. Well, there's definitely a different international market. I believe something like five of them possibly, uh, don't fact check me. Um, but you need to basically qualify and I guess every region can be different. So sometimes if a region has multiple countries, they'll probably each country might deal with their own, qualifiers and send their best qualifier to the international competition where they will compete uh, for the top placement of that region. And generally the top two from each of those international regions gets a pass and gets welcomed into Las Vegas. And they, I believe there's maybe five regions or at least 10 competitors that come from the U S to make about 20 competitors um, in Vegas. 10 U.S. and 10 international or in and around there. It's not my competition to create. Um, I just get an invite or not. So, but definitely look at winning your, um, winning your region and get started now. If you are interested in 2022 uh, competing for, for that, it might already be too late. So, um, you know, they always say to pause the podcast and check it out, pause the podcast and find out what you have to do. So you don't miss your, 
next qualifying. I think the regionals have been going on um, or they're really close to going on. I was talking to Dennis Ryan last week and um, for months he's been saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to do it this year. I don't think I'm going to do it this year. And then it got closer and it was like, oh, I think I'm going to do it. And I, was, I, I just looked at him and said, yeah, I knew that all along, Dennis. It's really hard to compete. And I can understand Dennis. Um, I know Dennis well, too. Um, not as well as I'd like to, but uh, I know he's busy. I know he has stores. And there's a lot of excuses you can come up with to not do it. And the qualifying, it does take time. You can't just show up and not practice. I mean, you can just show up and not practice, but you might as well not because you're just going to waste your time. And then, you know, it's, it's a couple days. It can be. And then it can be uh, time to practice. Or if there's video submissions you have to do, you know, you have to halt operations in your store, get the right go, set everything up, do it properly. It is a PETA. And I think there's a lot of reasons not to do it. And I know I ask myself this, the same question every time. And there's always other things you'd be focusing on. You could always find an excuse not to do it. Um, but if you're interested, you know, commit and do it. Um, but just know that it's not, it's not as simple as, yep, just show up and just make these three pizzas. Since you're, it's going to take you a minute and a half. It's uh, a minute and a half year commitments. You'll be, you'll be tied up. There'll be travel and it's worth it, but it's inconvenience. So I want to circle back to, to one thing we talked about earlier. We, and we kind of glazed over and I think it's really important. I was in California working with a client. And one of the things they wanted me to do that week was judge their world's fastest pizza maker. And so we did a preliminary and then we did, we did uh, the finals the next day. And before we went into the finals the next day, I talked to one of the guys that had the fastest time before and he was an above star guy. And I said, Hey, listen, this is really for your stores. You know, today I want you to merely focus on making perfect pizzas. Don't worry about going fast because let's give your general managers an opportunity to win. I want you to go quick, but I want you to make perfect pizzas. And he was, he was like, uh, I don't know about that. Okay, I'll do it. And it turned out he ended up going about 12 seconds faster than the day before. And his pizzas were exponentially better. And I think what I really want our listeners to hear is that it's really important to focus on doing things right. Because if you don't have time to do it correctly one time, you certainly don't have time to go back and fix it. And it's been my experience when I've been up close and personal to the world's fastest pizza maker that the guys like Mustafa Habib, who just made beautiful pizzas and, and never looked like he was going fast, but always had the fastest times, or Polly, or Renee, or you for that matter, it just seems like time slows down when accuracy is your priority. And then you've got some other, you know, perennial competitors that looked like they were going super fast, but the pizzas weren't nearly up to spec and their times were always longer. At what point did you figure that out? And, and am I right? Or am I just crazy? Is that, is that the key? Wait, wait, before you answer, you can say, you can say both are correct. <laughs> well, yeah, I, this is one thing you'll learn about us if you listen to all the podcasts. Drew will never miss an opportunity for a dig ever. Yeah, I know. You are 100% absolutely completely correct. 
that you need to focus on your technique to make a nice pizza to spec every single time. Then you focus on speed. It is not unrealistic at all to think you can make three perfect pizzas in a minute 30 if you are practice and trained. That is your first target, three perfect pizzas at a minute 30. When you get there, then you start thinking about speed. Then you can start saying, how can I move quicker? How can I save steps? How can I, um, how can I maybe, you know, not dock the pizza 10 times around, but nine times around? Like you can start to add those tweaks. And then as you are consistently doing that, you're going to drop your time down to a point where you are competitive. And this, especially with this new competition, you are penalized um, a lot, 15 seconds, if you have any penalties. And if you don't wait 15 seconds trying to fix something, you're going to lose it because you're going to have an overhang. You're going to have um, a, a spot of the pizza that's missing cheese. You're going to have, I mean, sauce, you see it all the time where it's just sloppy and messy. Um, you've got to slow it down, get smooth, train your muscles. Train your, train your body to do the thing with nat in a natural way because once you hit the stage, your mind's going to stop working and you're going to need to be consistent in that way. So yes, 100%. That's why people, I get messages all the time. You know, I want to win this. How can I do it? I'm like, well, send me a video of you making three perfect pizzas in about a minute 30 and I will help you shave your time down. Um, send me your video of two and a half minutes, whatever it is, and I'll help you. But the point is they need to be nice pizzas. And if you're just moving too fast and it's sloppy and you're sending everything everywhere and you're getting mushrooms on your pepperoni pizza because, and you're having pizzas crash. And I have that, I've had that happen too. Like that, that is a mess. It's, it's not good. It's nothing that, that you should be proud of or we're proud of or should be applauded. So it's also not going to be what's going to help you win. You need to be smooth, consistent with everything you do. So start there and then the speed will come. So kind of wrapping up our, our talk here on world's fastest pizza maker. These are the, the three takeaways I've gotten from our time together today. Number one, you got to be able to make three perfect pizzas in a minute and a half. And then you start working on speed after that. Number two, relax. And number three, you can't hold your breath for a minute. Make sure that you breathe. Yeah, that's the best secret of them all. Nice. I like it a lot. Hey, uh, listen, we've got one last question for you before we let you go. And this is one we're asking everybody. And think about your time from a wee lad in kindergarten up until just yesterday. Who is your favorite teacher and why? Oh, I knew this question was coming. Obviously, you ask it every episode. And I have an answer. Um, but I'm just going to preface it by saying I've had so many great teachers that never really even held a position of authority over me or a teacherhood. Um, and so I just want to remind people that I've learned my best lessons from people that are not necessarily my teachers, um, whether it's my staff or wife or uh, brothers. But my favorite teacher, I have to give it to my dad. Um, and through business, for sure, and through spending time, the the lessons that he was able to teach about how to um, manage people and 
drive them hard and to motivate them, but then to be extremely compassionate and understanding um, and allow for second chances. I think that served me really well. Um, it's allowed me to instill some fire and some energy and uh, to be motivating, but to allow me to be somebody that people want to be around and, and work with. Um, and those, those lessons that my dad had taught me, which I think are just the, largely the culture of dominoes and what Mr. Monahan, you know, put in this system about the entrepreneurial spirit and then the competitive nature, but also doing that all while doing the right thing, looking out for people first and doing it with a, with an air of humility. Um, that's my best teacher. And I can say that too, because I was the kid who was running shifts and in my dad's store and people, you know, they think, oh, it's easy working for your dad. Do you know how scared I was that I was going to do something wrong or leave a few kernels of cheese behind that make line after close? Because, you know, I did not want to let him down and he would, he would let me know. And I knew what the expectations were. They were very clear, which is very important. And I wanted to make sure that I, I met those. And so I think he taught me a lot about life and leadership. And then all the stuff that happens around the fringes uh, is not, not as important. You deal with those things day by day. So I'll give it to my dad. Nice. That's a great answer. Absolutely awesome. Well, like Sam said, Werner, that was the last question. So I want to thank you so much for giving your time and explaining to us everything, including how much faster you are than we are. It was awesome, dude. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks, Werner. Simply a great time with Werner. Thank you so much for your time. We know you listened to the podcast um, because you said so in the interview. And it's amazing when they're honest about that, isn't it? Yeah, I listened to the podcast. Yeah, that's great. Oh. Uh, with that, let's go into our uh, last ad for this episode. This year, we've done a few virtual training events. I think we could do something for 2022 as well. How about we do them quarterly? That is a great idea. I'm thinking 49 bucks a piece again. What do you think? I like that. But I want to do something special for our listeners. How about we do a season pass for just 150 bucks? That's right. Basically, buy three, get one free. Dang, that is a heck of a deal. I like it. I'm in. Count me in. Dates and specific topics we'll deal with as we get closer to each virtual training event. Because we know stuff changes out in the wild. And we don't want to step on any other, I don't know, podcasts, webinars, or calls. How about you, Sam? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Listen, as soon as this podcast is over, go to trainwithbty.com and buy as many of them as you'd like for 2022, or the smart money is buying the season pass. I like that. The season pass for 150 bucks gets you access to all four of the virtual training events at trainwithbty.com. Well, we talked about virtual training event one being coaching and training and two, maybe finance. If you don't run away from it, you want it, we'll do finance. That would be super. You can get the discounted rate, like you said in the ad. Hey, Sam, let's hear from uh, Willie and uh, tell me where you're going. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. Always good to hear from Willie. I am uh, working on an update of my Train the Trainer program. It is 
easily my favorite curriculum that I teach. And then I am uh, also, of course, preparing for a virtual training event. And I'll be heading down to Kentucky to spend some time with Chris Short's group and hopefully a side trip to Ohio to spend some time with his uh, Ohio group as well. So that's what's on tap for me. How about you, Drew? Where are you going to be on the road again? The actual on the road, I'm heading out to Seattle uh, for the second round of the Better Than Yesterday visit training with Chris Farmer and Pat Farmer and their team. And I'm heading to uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, but not for RPM. No, T. Murph is having a retreat. So we're going to do some supervisor training at the retreat and talk about uh, time management and prioritization. And other than those two, you can find me on a ton of webinars as well. I think in the next uh, six weeks, I have four of them coming up. That sounds amazing. Hey, gang, thanks so much for listening. We would love it if you shared these episodes with your friends. Like them, follow them, and subscribe. This has been episode... So really, subscribe. Really, subscribe. The more you subscribe, the bigger the guests we can get. That is um, that is a true fact. So uh, this has been episode 25 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Bowser Consulting. As always, go out, sell more pizza. And have more fun. That be it. That's all, folks.